Welcome to Chatting with Channing, the podcast for Channing School that lets you, the listener, find out more by hearing from people throughout the school community. Each episode, you'll hear real stories from staff, from pupils, from parents and the school's alumni to give you a true reflection of life on Highgate Hill. So let's get into this episode right now of Chatting with Channing. In this episode, we catch up with a former pupil of Channing School. Jane Simpson, known at school as Jane Manches, has enjoyed a very successful legal career. She studied law at University College London and went on to become a successful family lawyer. She was one of only a handful of women to have led a city law firm. We're going to be talking to Jane about her school memories and her career, and we'll also find out what advice she would have had for her teenage self if she could go back in time. Let's meet Jane Simpson. Hello. Hello. Lovely to meet you. And it's lovely to be here. When were you at Channing? I started in Channing and Fair Seat in 1947 when I was aged five, and I left in 1960 when I was aged 18. It was the only school I ever went to. And I loved it here so much that I think that if I could have, I'd still be at school. (laughs) So what's your favourite memory of the school? In the junior school, it was playing under the big tree, which now has had to be taken down. And I went there, in fact, last week and saw the amazing sculpture that they're making from that tree. But I was very sad when I heard it was coming down because I have a granddaughter who also played under the same tree. And that's a nice connection. And in the senior school, I think it's playing rounders at what is now the bottom garden in the senior school and so on. But I just love doing that. So it's all playing. Yes, I was going to say, on the more academic side, did you have a favourite subject? Mathematics was my favourite subject. I liked the structure of it and the certainty of it. Very different in a way from how I developed and the, the career that I took, although law has also the same sort of rules and structure. Interesting. Did you have a favourite teacher? I loved the maths teacher, Mrs Page, which is probably one of the reasons why I loved maths. She was a brilliant teacher. Uh, she could really connect with the pupils. And our Latin teacher, which I did at A-level, uh, Mrs Radici, who adored her subject... And the only sadness to me was that it had to be translated into Latin or translated from Latin into English (laughs) because I loved the content, but I did not find Latin easy. Yes, a language that killed the Romans, I think, is what we were used to say. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you're obviously back in school today. What what what's your initial memory? What does it evoke when you come back into school? Because there's always something, isn't there? Well, of course, because um, I'm on the development board at the moment, although as sort of representing the alumni, I have been back quite a bit recently and because I've got a granddaughter in the senior school. But the main memory I have is every time I come into Hague House, because Hague House was built while I was at the school and my class was allowed to have one of the first classrooms at the school, um, which now is the head's uh, room and various other things, but that's where it was. And so we were very honoured. But also in one indoor break, we, put, we had drawn on the board a big uh, darts board, and when it was my turn, I broke the light. And I had to have a detention for that. It was an absolute disgrace. 
<laughs> so that comes into my mind every time I walk into Hague House. And did you find when you left the school that you often bumped into people? I think I found, uh, you know, all, all around the world, I tended to bump into people that have been to the school. Have you found that in your time? Well, first of all, I've been lucky enough to keep contact with we've got a sort of my uh, little Channing foursome and we meet fairly regularly so I'm very in contact with them and um, not so much I've done it much I've bumped into sort well, of got to know Ch um, Channing old girls um, again since I've had the connection again because I completely lost my connection until I had uh, granddaughters and that must be lovely now. Yes, it is. Absolutely lovely. Yes. Do they often come to you and say, did you do anything naughty? Did you do anything wrong? They do. Yes. I mean, one of them now is at university. And as I say, the other one is in the senior school. But um, yeah, and I tell them the story of breaking the light. And in <laughs> fact, the follow up of that was I was given a detention right at the top, which I think is now one of the art rooms. And um, they forgot that I was there. It was after school. And so my mother had to phone up and say, my daughter hasn't come home. And they said, oh, she's, she's locked in. We'll go and get her out. <laughs> I very much doubt that would happen these days. Do you see a real difference between your time and the now? Um, it's a very good question because there's, there's lots of similarities, which I see. But the main difference really is the approach to the education of girls, because in my time, it was, it was quite precious. You know, we were precious in the sense that we did embroidery. We, at, at lunch, you had to take a card and go to one of the tables, and that table would be hosted by one of the six formers, and the objective was that you learned how to make conversation. University, your future career, was not a sort of main, fo or not a main focus, but a focus of what you were doing. It was much more how I suppose a lot of women were perceived in those days and maybe still are. Now, of course, there's a very, very different emphasis. The bit that I like best, I think, is, is um, take risks and make mistakes because I was not a risk taker. I hated the thought of making a mistake I was never, in, never did sort of public speaking in the sense of giving a talk in assembly or anything like that. And that was the thing that when I came out into the big bad world, I found most difficult to sort of cope with because I was very, very shy. You thought that I'm even doing this podcast would have been, oh, no, 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 I can't do something like that. And I wasn't encouraged at school, whereas now, of course, they are. Yes, one of the things that occurs to me, I, I often speak to some of the young people at the school and the confidence of the young ladies yes. now is so different. Absolutely. Yes, yes. So uh, you did go on to be extremely successful in family law and I suspect you had to make a few speeches. <laughs> I did. Uh, tell, us, tell us more about how you got into that. Into family. Well, I went, got into law because both my parents were solicitors. So it was familiar to me and... As I said, I was very shy and I didn't, wasn't a risk taker. And the thought of branching out and doing something that I didn't really know anything about and wasn't part of my DNA, if you like, was much too terrifying. So I read law at university. I qualified as a solicitor. I worked, as you did in those days, of doing sort of general law, a bit of everything, but nothing as a, speci as a speciality. And then I married and I had children. 
and I had 10 years maternity leave, during which time I trained as a what was then called a marriage guidance counsellor and now would be, I think, a relationship counsellor. And as a result of that, I met a woman called Blanche Lucas, who was a top family lawyer. And she asked, came to ch- over to chat to me at one of our events. And she said, when I told her a bit about my background, she said, Jane, you have got to come back to the law and be a family lawyer. You have got to. And she was very persuasive. And so I did. And I started um, a, a department from scratch at the firm that I'd been with, which was my family firm, which was now much, much bigger and started the family department. And on day one, I had files on my desk from other departments who were sort of trying to be family lawyers. And so that became my career. And you had some very interesting moments, I suspect. Did you deal with some high-profile cases? I did. I had to sort of build it up, really. And the department became... Well, I think one of my proudest moments was when the department, which I had started from scratch, became one of the top, uh, in fact, one of two top London uh, groups of family lawyers. And from my own personal pride is that I did manage to conquer giving speeches, giving lectures and so on, which was so, to the end, terrifying. And then when I retired... I said, I promise you, Jane, you will never have to do this again. You'll never have to make a pub- <laughs> give a public lecture again. <laughs> and now here you are doing a podcast, well, so I apologise. Yeah, that, that's fine. That's fine. I'm talking about me. I can do that. I'm not talking about the law. So you must have seen a great deal of change in family law during your time. It went through a, a huge transition, didn't it? It did. Well, it became a specialist subject instead of something that was mostly done in a litigation department. And the emphasis, which a lot of the public don't appreciate, but the emphasis on trying to reach fair agreements when a couple get divorced, rather than we've got to go to court, how do we set ourselves up most to win, is a big change, very big change. Um, And the the bit that I'm most happy to see is no-fault divorce, which... I was trying to work out how long ago, but I think it must have been some 25 years ago. I was on a Lord Chancellor's advisory group. And one of the things that we advised was about how to, about we, we had in fact helped the drafting of a bill for no fault divorce. And it was passed as a bill, but it never became an act of parliament. Because in those days, it couldn't get through the House of Lords because... I think all the bishops that objected as probably, and it wasn't a vote catcher. So it never became law. And I'm delighted it is now law now. What part of your work did you find the most fulfilling? Well, first of all, I love, I liked being involved in the detail of someone's life in a constructive or usually constructive, hopefully constructive way. But the thing that I found most fulfilling would be seeing a client come into my office in a terrible state unable to cope, frightened, you know, looking sort of all scared and in a t- really in a terrible place. And then at the end of the process, them going out with confidence. They may not yet be happy, but with confidence that it will be all right, the growth in the client. I found that incredibly satisfying. And I remember on one occasion, 
I hadn't seen a client who came in sort of after the summer holidays or something like that. And I didn't recognize her because instead of wearing black and looking all, she was wearing red and was sort of, and I didn't recognize her for a minute. And that was really sort of thought to me, this is wonderful. I've been part of somebody's life where they've managed to develop in a very positive way. And that was good. And it wasn't only women, it was men as well. You could see the same process. Family law also, I think, has has grown in stature, hasn't it? It has a lot more recognition as a branch of the law. Did you you struggle at the beginning? Did, Did the sort of more male partners look down on it a bit? In my firm, I mean, if I hadn't been sort of you know, the sort of former boss's daughter, would they have let me try? Because I don't think that, you know, financially, I don't think that they, they, they were very supportive of me wanting to develop and make a name in family law. They were very supportive. So uh, then, it, you know, once I, it became a successful department, of course, you know, they would say, oh, yes, well, you know, we supported Jane in doing this. I'm glad we did. <laughs> if it hadn't yeah. been, I think it would have been a different matter. I was talking to you about the Solicitors Family Law Association. You had a great deal to do with that, didn't you? Yes. It's now called Resolution. Actually, I thought the former name was better because it tells you immediately what it was. But anyway, that's... Um, and I was a founder member, which was... And in a way, that's what made my career because I came to family law. Really, I was, you know, well into my 30s when I when I came back to the law and, and specialised in family law. And there were, you know, very senior lawyers who'd been doing it for some time. And um, this fact that, again, it was very daring, the fact that a group of us, including me, was able to say, look, you know, please think about what really is in the client's interest, helping them to reach agreements, fair agreements. Uh, somebody said, you know, but, you know, we won't make money that way. Yes, you will. You'll make more, you'll be more attractive to clients when they realise that, um, you know, you can look at it in a broader perspective, not just as litigation. You mentioned distress. Obviously, family law, not for the faint-hearted. Did you find any uh, times particularly challenging? I found it terribly difficult to act for clients that were bullies. I found it very, very difficult. And uh, it could be men and women. And even though in theory, I knew in theory that standing up to a bully is what you need to do, you know, when they'd attack me for how hopeless I was and what a mess I was making of their life and they don't know why they're paying me so much money and so on, you know, part of me would want to say, oh, you know, just sort of wither. And um, I found that very difficult. And children too, presumably in the family law. Was that a difficult side of things? I found it, could find it very upsetting. And I remember on one occasion, I was in court for a father who... And the mother wouldn't let him see his son. And he wouldn't let and 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 the mother wouldn't let him go to watch his son playing cricket. And we were in court trying to get that changed. And when we came out, I turned away from the client. We hadn't we hadn't failed, but we hadn't yet succeeded. We had to wait and things had to happen. And I turned away from this father when we came out of court, and he said. Because cause you don't care, do you? It isn't your life. And I said, actually, I've turned away from you because I am, a tear has just gone down my cheek, particularly because my own son is the same age as yours and he plays cricket. So I found it unbearable. And those sort of things which normally, 
as you, as a lawyer, you have to contain. And the, on this occasion, I was not able to. It was uh, well. I hope it, we went on to have a very nice relationship with the client, and the client to be able to see his son. But it was, it was very painful. That. Mm. How did you think that um, Channing School prepared you for life after school and indeed all your varied roles? I can give you positives and negatives. Let me think about this. Um, The positives were that, because I did quite well academically, and I had confidence from that point of view. I had confidence in my intellectual ability. I had social confidence, which I'd learned at at the lunch table, and of course in other ways. Um, and it was a very small school then. In fact, it was the whole school ju- was junior and senior was the size of what the junior school is now, I think, which is remarkable. So I had an inner confidence where that was concerned. But where it did not prepare me was, first of all, to be able to spell. And this is not just me, but all my peer group at Channing, we talk, we, we, we talk about this, and it's awful that none of us can spell. And spell checks are very helpful for us now. And on a more serious note, I think, as I've said before, in being able to have the confidence in how to pretend that you're OK when you're not, you know, to go in and sound as if you know what you're talking about when actually you're terrified to take a risk that actually you may do it very badly and it won't be the end of the world. I was not prepared for that. And I think that now, hopefully, the girls are much more prepared. So if you could go back, right back in time, is there any advice that from all of the things that you've done, you'd give to your teenage self? I didn't like being a teenager until I got to university. And I think the reason was that... um, I loved it at school because that was fine because I was with my peers and I enjoyed it. But in the big bad world of the teenagers outside school and when we started, you know, socialising with boys and of course I was at an all-girls school as the girls here are now, I was not prepared for it at all. And I was absolutely not prepared because my own mother had a career. I was not prepared for the number of boys that I met in various ways who actually found it quite threatening you know what are you what are you doing oh well I'm you know doing my A-levels and I'm hoping to go to university I'm so it wasn't until I got to university that I felt comfortable you know not not being just well you know having a brain really and I think you know I, I hadn't learned and I'm glad I didn't learn the art of being a bit more sort of downbeat about having a brain. I'm very glad I didn't learn that. Uh, although I, I would say to myself, it doesn't matter, Jane. You know, everything will be all right. Be yourself. It's fine. Well, that's a wonderful way to finish. It's been delightful to talk to you today and to catch up and, uh, and hear your memories of the wonderful Channing School and indeed your memories of your career. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. That's it for this episode. If you've heard anything on this podcast and would like to get in touch with the school, then just visit channing.co.uk. But also, our next episode is coming out soon. So in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.